0: Good morning, second service. How's everybody doing? It's all wave to our live streamers and to everybody upstairs. It's wave to them. It's great to have you guys. Welcome, happy Sunday to all of you. Um, before we get into my sermon, I want to address something that happened this last week. Uh, the, an email went out, I believe, on Friday, uh, explaining the situation. But many of you guys know that we are, in a sense, partners with uh, THM, Timothy Harvest Ministries, in Malawi, Africa. And Malawi had there was a cyclone that came off the ocean and came up, you know, into Africa. And it just moved so slowly slowly that there was torrential downpour in southern Malawi, and it just rained and rained and rained and rained, and, and there was all these landslides and mudslides and flooding all over the place. And where there were once villages, there was just covered in boulders and completely washed away. And thousands and thousands of people are displaced without homes, without anything. Hundreds and hundreds are dead. And uh, so Timothy Harvest Ministries, they're kind of in the northern part of the country. They didn't get hit uh, near as hard as the southern part. And so they want to go down there and be the hands and feet of Jesus and to just... serve in any way or capacity that they can. And we as a church would love to just be able to assist them in that. Um, And the way that we can help is if we can be able to send some money there to be able to help with the food and supplies and whatever they might need. And so if you would like to help out in that, if you feel like God is leading you to do that, go ahead and put one of the checks in the giving boxes. And on the memo line, just put Malawi Cyclone and we'll make sure that it gets there. Uh, In the meantime, I want to encourage you guys to just really be praying for them and pray for the team as they go down there, that God would use them to impact people's lives, even in these incredibly hard times. And uh, today, I just thought it'd be good if we, just as an entire church family, just joined our hearts and minds together as we, we pray for them. That's one of the best things we can do. So can we do that right now? Heavenly Father, you tell us to cast all of our cares on you because you care for us. And this is a huge care that's sitting on our hearts right now of just uh, people who are going through incredible suffering and losing family members and house and everything gone. And um, God, you are the God that promises that you can work all things together for good. And what the enemy meant for evil, you can bring good out of it. And so we pray that you would just work miraculously and that, the, um, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in that country as it would be in heaven. I pray that you would use the THM team, uh, that they would be the hands and feet of Jesus and the mouthpiece of Jesus and that they would just love on the people and that they might see you at work. And so we commit them into your hands and we ask that you would work a miracle in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys. And as I said before, I encourage you to continue to be praying for them. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Ushers will get that to you. If you need a pen, hold up a couple fingers and they'll get that to you as well. Well guys, it has been two Sundays since I've been up here, and I want to once again thank Paul and Josh for preaching the last two Sundays. They did an amazing job, and we as a church are incredibly blessed to have them um, on our team. Uh, They are very gifted for sure, and so thank you, Paul and Josh. If you see them, give them a good hard slap on the back. Um, I understand, though, Paul is on a flight to Taiwan today with Denise, he and Denise, and uh, Denise's son paid for them to get a first-class ticket. So Paul is like leaning back and just relaxing and having a good time. So that's awesome. Well, uh, three Sundays ago, I left you guys in a lurch, didn't I? We have been going through the series called Piercing the Darkness, and we've been addressing the need for us, the church, followers of Jesus, to go out into this world of darkness and plunder it for the kingdom of God. And one of the big things we have been focusing on is the Great Commission, okay? Some of the final words of Jesus before he ascended up to, he left this earth and ascended to the Father. And we've been talking about how the church has, rather than follow Jesus' words and commands, the church has kind of come up with its own plan. And one of the mistakes we've seen the church make is rather than make disciples, it has focused on making what? What? Converts, exactly. And converts may or may not follow Jesus. And often, sadly, they do not follow Jesus. And the last time we were together, we mentioned how the reason that we are only making converts is because we are proclaiming a different gospel than the gospel Jesus presented. The church has come up with its own gospel and has been proclaiming that gospel from the pulpits. And unfortunately, it has set aside the gospel that Jesus proclaimed when he was here. And we we spent some time talking about the social gospel on the left and also the atonement gospel on the right and how each gospel, while it has many good things, they are not complete. They are half gospels, if you will. And therefore, in my opinion, that makes them faulty gospels. And and I know I spent the most time focusing on the atonement gospel because that's what I grew up with and most familiar with. And the atonement gospel is basically believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins to pay the penalty for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. That is the the atonement gospel. And that is the gospel being preached from pulpits, from Sunday schools, from vacation Bible schools, youth groups, conferences, crusades. It's written on tracts, you name it. It is the primary gospel being proclaimed. And as I mentioned last sermon, the problem with that gospel is that it only requires that you believe in something Jesus did. If you believe in something Jesus did, you get to go to heaven when you die. Nowhere are you being asked to believe in Jesus. And neither this gospel nor the social gospel requires any following of Jesus. The need to disciple yourself after Jesus isn't even on the table. So often, people simply believe that Jesus died on the cross for them, they have their fire insurance, and then they go on living their life like they always have, just like the world. Like I said, there's a statistic out there that says around 65% of Americans believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins. But tell me, are 65% of Americans followers of Jesus? No. No. So something is wrong with this gospel. If you don't believe me, all you need to do is to look around at our Christian culture in our day, and you will see that I'm right. And that's what we addressed last sermon. Now, I have been asked repeatedly by many of you, do you think that people who believe that gospel are Christians then? Are the people who prayed that prayer, are they Christians? And the, the answer to that clearly is in the Lord's hands. For instance, I know many people who started out by hearing that gospel, believing that gospel, and then became followers of Jesus Christ. Now, in my opinion, following Jesus Christ is what changed their life. I do not necessarily think that the gospel did it. It was Jesus. But I've also known many people who believe in that gospel, and they have not followed Jesus. Are they Christians? That's between them and God. All I know is that Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, I know... Those are sobering words, but they are the words of Jesus. And therefore, we must pay close attention to them. And that's my concern about the two gospels that I talked about last sermon. The atonement gospel and the social gospel do not produce disciples of Jesus, it produces converts. Now, sometimes those converts then go on to be disciples and praise God for that, but often they do not. I know many who haven't. That's the danger. So we ended up last sermon by saying, if we do not preach the gospel Jesus preached, we cannot expect the results Jesus had. And boy, have we seen that play out in the church in our modern day culture, haven't we? We have weak, powerless churches full of lukewarm Christians who look not much different than the people of this world. Now that should deeply concern us. We need... And we must preach the gospel Jesus preached. Amen? So what is the gospel Jesus preached? And we ended last sermon with this. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. And that's where we left things. Rather abruptly, we left things. So the question is then, what is the gospel of the kingdom of God? And remember, second service, what does the word gospel mean? Good news, exactly. So what is the good news of the kingdom of God? Well, to answer that, we're going to have to back up and look at some things first. We'll not be able to fully grasp and appreciate the good news of the kingdom of God unless we know the background. You can't appreciate good news unless you know what the bad news is. And that's part of the reason I feel like the atonement gospel is missing so much. It fails to see all the bad news and therefore misses all the good news. The bad news for the atonement gospel is you have sinned. The penalty of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God in hell. That is the bad news. You will go to hell when you die. Now, don't get me wrong. That is bad news. That's terrible news. But there's so much more to the bad news than that. Hell is just a fraction of the bad news. And if you don't know the entirety of the bad news, the good news doesn't sound as good, and it will be cheapened, it will be minimized. So we need to see the bad news first. And the first clue of the bad news can be found in that word kingdom. Let's look at that word kingdom. What is a kingdom? Well, here in America, we don't think about the word kingdom much. We don't really understand it. And the reason that is is because we live in a republic. We are the republic of the United States of America. Okay? And because we live in a republic, we think in terms of a republic. We, the people, carry the power by electing officials into office who will then run the government as we, the people, want them to. And as you know, it works perfectly because all the people (laughs) we elect... They have amazing character, they're humble, and they want to serve their country. (laughs) Just kidding. But no, we are used to the idea of the republic where we, the people, have the power. We're the ones who decide what we want. Well, a kingdom does not run that way. In a kingdom, a king runs the show. A king is in charge. The king gets what he wants. A kingdom is the realm in which a sovereign king rules. A king asserts his rule and his activity within his kingdom. And in a kingdom, what the king wants done is done. So when Jesus shows up and he declares the arrival of the kingdom of God, why is this such good news? I'll tell you why. Because there was another kingdom already on the earth. Anybody want to guess what that kingdom was? The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness was on the earth ruling. Spiritual entities of darkness ruling the earth and oppressing the earth. And Satan was the head honcho. Let me show you. Remember when Satan took Jesus to the top of a very high mountain when he was trying to tempt him and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth? Let's quickly look at it here. It says, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and all their splendor because it's been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it'll all be yours. All the kingdoms of the earth and all their authority and all their splendor belong to Satan. Beyond that, Jesus three times calls Satan the prince of this world. Meaning, Satan was the ruling authority on the earth. He was the the head of the kingdom of darkness. So, I want you to picture, if you can, Satan, the ruling authority of the kingdom of darkness, asserting his rule and his activity all over the earth. Doing what he wants In his kingdom. Because he's the king. And what was Satan doing in his kingdom? Oppressing humanity. Holding them captive. Taking humanity. The very ones who were created in the image of God. And by his evil oppression. He was marring God's image. Stealing from them. Killing them. Destroying the very creation of God. Humanity was in bondage to an evil oppressive ruler. In the unseen realm. That's the crazy thing. When Jesus showed up, the Jews were all up in arms about the Roman government, this Roman oppressive rule, and they wanted an earthly king to set up shop and drive back all the human rulers from their land and take over the world. But they failed to see that there was a far more sinister, evil ruler behind the scenes that made Rome look like nothing. The kingdom of darkness was an enemy so sinister and so evil... And so destructive, and yet no one could see that. But God did. And Jesus did. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. He shows up and he says, hey guys, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent, change the way that you're thinking and believe in the good news that I'm proclaiming. Now, why in the world would the arrival of the kingdom of God be good news? Well, very simply, like I said before, it's because there was another kingdom at work. The kingdom of darkness. And Jesus was saying, there is a greater, a far more superior kingdom on the scene. And the good news is, you can be part of this kingdom. You can participate in this kingdom. And you can be set free from the old oppressive rule of the kingdom of darkness. Who cares about Rome? The real freedom comes from being set free from the kingdom of darkness. Jesus says these words. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And guys, this is all against an unseen enemy. The unseen kingdom of darkness. Now... Remember how in a kingdom, the rule and activity of the king is what happens in that kingdom? What the king wants done is done in that kingdom? So what do you think the king of the kingdom of darkness is all about? What activity is he up to? Anybody wanna guess? Let me show you. First John 3:8 says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, okay? Now, look at that verse. Tell me, what is the activity the devil is up to? Sinning. He's been sinning from the beginning. That's what he does. He sins and sins and sins. And guess what? That is the activity he promotes. That's the activity he endorses. And that's the activity he wants to have in his kingdom, sinning. Sinning is the devil's work. Sinning is the devil's activity. So let me ask you, if you are in the kingdom of darkness under the rule of Satan your king, what will you be doing? Sinning. Sinning. Of course you will. Because when you are under the rule of someone, you will do the activity they want. In fact, we are told that we are even slaves to this activity. Jesus said this. He goes very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So we find ourselves slaves To the activity of sin under the oppressive rule of a ruler who sins continually and who has been sinning from the beginning. Please don't miss how utterly horrific that is. We are slaves, slaves, and slaves do their master's bidding, and our master is an oppressive ruler. We sin in a dark, oppressive kingdom of sinfulness. Now, here's where it gets ugly. Sin comes with severe consequences. Yeah, we know that sin brings death. We all know that. And that's horrible in and of itself but sin and living under the slavery of sin and in the kingdom of darkness there is disease there is trauma, there is oppression, there is destruction there is the robbing of one's well being, there is the robbing of one's peace and mental stability, there is demon possession, there is broken families, broken marriages, broken hearts, broken relationships shattered lives sin leads to a a horrific end, it never brings a good ending, never, It always brings death and destruction in all sorts of forms that's why Jesus says the enemy has come to steal and to kill and to destroy that's the ruler of this world the one who's been sinning since the beginning that's the activity of his kingdom no wonder it's called the kingdom of darkness And mankind has been a slave to this activity, a slave to sin in this kingdom, literally being destroyed by the kingdom of darkness. That is, until Jesus showed up. And look at what scripture tells us. Back to 1 John, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, but the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Amen. Tell me what did what did Jesus come to earth for? To destroy the devil's work. Tell me, what is the devil's work? What is the devil's activity? Sin. sin. So Jesus came to destroy sin. And not only to destroy sin, but all the effects of sin and all the consequences of sin. He came to end the oppression. He came to set the captives free. He came to end the destruction that the enemy was causing. Another kingdom has shown up on the scene and it's going to shut down and destroy the activity that this devil has been ravaging on mankind for centuries. That, my friends, is the good news of the kingdom of God. Living in the kingdom of darkness is not much of a life. It's barely in an existence because that thief that we call Satan only steals, he only kills, he only destroys, but that isn't the end game. Jesus showed up and he said these words, yeah, that thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. Abundant life. You know what abundant means? It means existing or available in large and plentiful quantities. That's what abundant life means. And that's the kind of life Jesus came to offer. Let me ask you a question. When you look around and see the Christians in this world, do you see them living abundant lives? Lives of joy, joy. Lives of peace, lives of power, lives of goodness, lives of holiness, lives of righteousness in large and abundant quantities. No, I don't. Maybe you find one or two here and there, but that's not the norm. What we see is Christians trying to fake lives to appear to be something they are not. We see Christians who are oppressed, depressed, beaten down, entrenched in sin, not finding freedom from it, and wanting to give up. Well, I'm sorry, something is wrong with that picture. That is not abundant life. And Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. What went wrong? Well, in my humble opinion, it is because the gospel that we've been presenting has been so pathetic, it hasn't affected our lives. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you'll go to heaven when you die. Well, that's great and all, but what about the here and now? What about my life right now? Do I just keep living in the kingdom of darkness pretending that I'm not? Is that what Jesus came to accomplish? To promise us heaven but let us live in utter bondage until then? I don't think so. Let me use an analogy if I can. This will be a bit graphic, but I think it's important that we see this. In World War II, a wicked, evil, sinister man was in power by the name of Hitler. And Hitler began something that few of us can even fathom and comprehend. We don't even like to think about it. He tried to destroy a people group. He tried to destroy men and women and children who who were created in the image of God and wipe them off the face of this earth in some of the most disgusting, brutal, horrifying ways known to man. Six million Jews were murdered. Six million. Can you even comprehend that number? To put it in perspective, the entire state of Wisconsin has a population less than six million according to the 2021 census. Imagine the entire state of Wisconsin being exterminated. And then 5 million more were held in camps, being tortured and raped and beaten and brutalized in ways we can't even imagine. The Nazi regime was a horrific satanic regime that symbolized exactly what Satan has been doing to mankind since the fall. My wife, Shauna, has a great uncle who was a soldier in the war. And he tells how he came up, he and his platoon came up to a camp where hundreds and hundreds of Jews were being held. When they arrived to the camp, he and his platoon came up to this big building which was the gas chambers and they caught several Nazi SS soldiers herding Jews into the gas chambers to be destroyed. Needless to say, in his words, he says, those Nazi soldiers were disposed of. He says they cut the fence down and they went into the camp and all the Jews surrounded them wearing dirty and ragged clothes and they had emaciated faces and they were walking skeletons and they fell to their knees crying out with joy and hope and they, he says that they were just chanting America, America, America. He says he will never forget that scene. When he talks of it, tears always come to his eyes. These people were finally free. What an amazing event to behold. Now let me set up this scenario for you this morning. Let's say that the allied forces come in and rescued the Jewish prisoners, but then said, you're free, but you must remain in the camps. You're free, but you must continue life as you have been living. And here's some really good news. When you die, you will get to go to a really great and amazing place. But for now, you're to keep living as you are. As for the Nazis, well, they're defeated. They're still around, but you are free. We've come so that you may be set free and that you might live abundantly, but you must remain in these camps and live as you have been living. And what if every morning they would get up and they would dig ditches for the Nazis and be beaten by the Nazis and be tortured by the Nazis and continue to face starvation because of the Nazis? And what if once a week they would all gather within their prison and sing songs about how the allied forces rescued them and how the enemy has been crushed and defeated. And someone would get up and give a stirring speech about how they've been set free and that this is a life of freedom that they they need to be thankful for. it. And one day we will truly be set free when we finally die. Would you call that freedom? How do you think the Jews would have felt about that supposed good news? Not great, I can tell you that. They would call that a joke. Because that's not freedom. That's not liberation. That's not abundant life. Waiting till we die to finally go to a good place. But in the meantime, you just keep living as you've always lived. Which really isn't living, it's just surviving. That isn't freedom. This doesn't sound like good news. And you're right, it isn't. But for some reason, when it comes to our Christian life, that's exactly what we've settled for. And we call it good news. Now, I know that's pretty graphic, graphic thing for us to think of on a Sunday morning. But to be real honest with you, it's very close to what the enemy has been doing to mankind for millennia. The evil that has been poured out on mankind from the kingdom of darkness is beyond imagination. The picture is very similar. And like the Jews in those concentration camps, we had a rescuer show up as well. His name is Jesus. And he came to set us free. But Whitestone, he came to set us free. Not tell us we were free and then say, but keep living as you are because the true freedom comes with death. No, he came to give us life, to give us true freedom, to give us life where the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, has no grip on us, no hold on us, no chains attached to us. He came to set us free so that we could be free indeed, amen? Why have we settled for less? Jesus said this, he goes, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see that? If you follow Jesus, you don't have to walk in darkness. Do you see that, what that is saying? The kingdom of darkness has no hold on us when we follow Jesus. And this is for our lives right now. Not when we die. It's for the now. The kingdom of God powerfully sets us free from the kingdom of darkness. That is the truth of the good news that Jesus proclaimed. The message of the kingdom of God is powerful. You know, one thing I noticed about Jesus when he would walk this earth is that he went around preaching the good news of the kingdom of God and then he also manifested the power of the kingdom of God. Let me show you. Matthew 9, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Mark, it says, he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. We've all heard the story about this one guy who he was blind and mute. He could not see and he could not talk. Talk about a horrific horrific prison to live in. Somebody brought him to Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what his problem was, and he cast out that demon. And suddenly the person could see, and suddenly he began to speak. Well, the Pharisees, they sat back in the corner looking at this with jealousy, and they're like, well, this man, Jesus, he's casting out these evil spirits by the power of Satan. Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, he goes, well, that makes no sense at all. Because why would Satan turn against his own kingdom? Why would he shoot down his own people? A kingdom divided cannot stand. He says, but, but look at this. If it's by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Boom. In other words, a more powerful kingdom is on the scene and the kingdom of darkness has no power over it. Over and over, Jesus preached the kingdom of God and then manifested the power of the kingdom of God. In fact, often Jesus would tell the people who would oppose him, he would say, listen, if you don't believe me, then at least believe the works that I do. These works prove it. You see, why? what I'm trying to get you to see is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power and of authority, and our lives should reflect that even the apostle Paul says in Corinthians he says for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power in Corinthians he says my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words but with a demonstration of the spirit's power in Romans he says for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit And that's my fear. It seems to me that we Christians have settled for talk. We've settled for eating and drinking. We've settled for persuasive speech. We've settled for eloquent pastors who preach stirring sermons. We've settled for Christian movies that make us cry. We've settled for one hour a day doing our devotions and we call it good. We've settled for prayer times where we spout off a bunch of words to God but have no idea what prayer really is. We've settled for one hour a week of church gathering to sing some songs and listen to a sermon and then fellowship together and our conscience is satisfied. We've settled for living lives of bondage to sin, bondage to addictions, and all we have to look forward to is heaven one day. We've settled for living lives just like the world lives, but hey, we're forgiven. We've settled. We've settled for living in concentration camps, and we have the gall to call it good news. The Apostle Paul, he warns Timothy that in the last days there will be horrible, terrible times where people will be living lives of loving themselves, loving money, boastful, proud, ungrateful, unholy, unforgiving, without self-control, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says this. Check this out. He says, these people, they will have a form of godliness They'll look godly on the outside, but they deny its power. Then he says this, have nothing to do with them. You know what scares me about this verse? It sounds like the modern day church. It sounds like Christians of today. Hear me, Whitestone, the kingdom of, of God is not a matter of talk. It's not a matter of having the perfect theology or the perfect doctrine or being in the right denomination. It's not a matter of eating or drinking. It's none of those. It's a matter of power power of the holy spirit flowing through us is a matter of righteousness living lives of rightness before the king of kings is a matter of being set free from sin and the horrific consequences of sin and not having to walk in darkness anymore is a matter of peace true peace and utter peace in the midst of a very troubled world It's a matter of joy true joy and utter joy in the midst of hardships in this world The kingdom of God is a matter of power being manifested through us to a world that desperately needs to see that power and not just hear about it. The kingdom of God, Whitestone, is good news. It's truly good news. Let's live lives that prove that. That's why Jesus came. And while Jesus was on this earth, that's what he did. He walked around and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And then he manifested that good news with his life. He lived a life of power. A life of power through the Holy Spirit of God. Guess what? The same spirit you and I have been given. Look at what Jesus says. And by the way, These verses I'm going to read come right after the verses I read to you earlier. Let me show you those verses again so it reminds you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. While Jesus was on this earth, this is what he did. This is what he busied himself with, teaching and preaching the kingdom of God and then manifesting the power of the kingdom of God. And then comes these next verses. Pay attention to this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Asked the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He saw these crowds of people, people who were oppressed by the evil kingdom of darkness, people who were like sheep that were surrounded by ravenous wolves that were tearing them to pieces. And Jesus says, oh my word, this harvest, it's huge. But there's so few workers. Ask the Lord of the harvest to therefore send out workers into his harvest field to continue doing what I'm doing. Can I ask you a question? Look at this verse, and in our current world today, who do you think are those workers? It's us. It's you and me. Let me ask you another question. Look at this next verse. If we are the workers in the harvest field, tell me what are we to be doing? Would it be feasible for me to say that if we are the body of Christ, then maybe we should be doing what Christ did when he was on the earth? Would that be a stretch for me to say that? I don't think so. He went from town to village to city teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and he healed every disease and every sickness and he cast out demons manifesting the power of the kingdom of God saying a greater kingdom is on the scene. So it makes sense that if he was working the harvest and he said we should ask for more workers to work the harvest then it must mean we are to be doing what he did so it means we had better preach the right gospel. And we had better live lives that manifest the power of the kingdom of God. Because if we don't, if we aren't working the harvest, then therefore, in my opinion, we certainly are not piercing the darkness. And that white stone should concern us. Next week, we're gonna try to put the gospel of the kingdom of God into a condensed form for us to wrap our heads around us. It's hard. Trust me, it's hard. Because the gospel of the kingdom of God is all-encompassing. The good news of the kingdom of God is so far-reaching, it's hard to just put it into one statement. There's so much to it. But we're gonna try it. We're gonna try to unpack that gospel in a way that makes sense and that somehow impacts our lives and then therefore impacts other people's lives as well because if it doesn't impact our lives then it's not much of a gospel. I trust that God will show us very important things that will be life-changing for all of us, amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. Because, man, he showed us what a real human is meant to live like. And so, God, I pray that we would become like Jesus and that we would not settle for anything less. God, we pray that we would be truly set free from the kingdom of darkness in such a way that we live lives of liberation and freedom and the world looks at us and goes, my word, I want that. And I pray that we would go forth in your power and rescue people from the prisons they live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, I love you very, very much, and I look forward to finishing out this series with you. I'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.